to Today on Broadway for Monday, September 18th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, it is Monday of a new week, and I am starting to look at the calendar and realizing that we're getting closer to the end of the year than I realized. I should have recognized that as, you know, from my point of view, once we get to football season, like it's practically the end of the year for me because everything just kind of rushes by. But as I'm starting to think about holidays and all of the other shows that are going to be coming in, I realized that like 2023 is almost over. And that just absolutely blew my mind when it occurred to me on Saturday. So I don't know about you, but somehow this year has has flown by for me and it's exciting. We've got a bunch more exciting theatrical stuff to talk about the rest of this year. But I, I'm, I was kind of taken aback that it wasn't actually still March because to me, it feels like March, even though it's mid to late September. Yeah, I was looking at my calendar this weekend working on this exact same thing because I've got friends getting married. I've got out of town shows to see. I've got events to do and my like there's so much. And so I was looking at the calendar and from now till next year, I'm pretty <laughs> packed. <laughs> You're booked. You are completely booked. No free time whatsoever. Practically, yes. So um, when I say I understand, I understand. But that also means that there's a lot of theatrical and artistic things that are thriving in my life right now, which feels very good. Yeah. More on that in the future, hopefully. So, you know, we can, you know, yeah. good stuff, good stuff coming. Of course, whatever the theatrical stuff is happening in your life and my life in the lives of the theatrical world in general, we will talk about it here on Broadway Radio. You can follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Broadway Radio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. Got some really fun feedback from our first Q&A episode. If you want to be a part of that, make sure that you subscribe to um, the $10 tier, which is where we do all of those Patreon-exclusive episodes, finalizing details for the second one of this month. We say we'll do three per, at minimum of three per month. Obviously, we started in the middle of this month, so don't know if we'll get a complete three for this month, but for full months moving forward, we will do at least three Patreon exclusive episodes finalizing the details on a second one for september right now but all right grace let's get into the news and unfortunately the story that has really taken the entire broadway and theater community by shock is the passing of tony award-winning actor michael mcgraw we found out that he died on thursday we found out like late on thursday and it was pretty much been the talk of the uh, entire theater community remembering him. He was just 65, just uh, I think a week and a half before he turned 66. Obviously, we remember him from his Tony winning role and nice work if you can get it. He was most recently on Broadway as the standby for Matthew Broderick in Plaza Suite, but also in Tootsie and She Loves Me recently uh, on the 20th Century. But like I was going through his resume and my God, I think it's it's like 15 Broadway shows that he was in. In addition to Nice Work If You Can Get It, he was also nominated for a Tony Award for Spamalot, playing the original Patsy in that. He was also a Drama Desk nominee back in 1996 for Swinging on a Star, which actually was the show that got him his Theater World Award as well. Done everything from, from my favorite year, The Goodbye Girl, Little Me, Wonderful Town, Is He Dead, Memphis, Born Yesterday, On the 20th Century, The Front Page, all of those things on Broadway. If you think about his early Broadway uh, resume, he was the standby in The Goodbye Girl, which starred Martin Short, and he was in Little Me, which starred Martin Short. He went on to become the announcer and sidekick for the short-lived The Martin Short Show on TV, and 
Grace, just a lot of the outpouring of love, talking about just what a genuine, nice, wonderful human being that he he was. He is survived by his uh, his wife of 30 years, Tony Dubuano, who is also an actor. They actually met, I believe, doing a Boston production of, of Forbidden Broadway. Really, uh, just really sad. Uh, no details about whether he was sick or not have come out. But it really seemed to surprise everybody in the theater community and lots of lots of remembrances of the times that pretty much everybody has worked with him because he's done so much both on Broadway and regionally and in workshops and all of those things. So uh, really sad. Everybody in the community seems to be grieving this one and, and hitting hitting pretty hard, Grace. Yeah, I I was talking to a couple of theater friends um, on live on TikTok on Thursday night uh, when that news broke. And it was so shocking to me because I was genuinely just talking about it because I, I actually this is not this is totally real. I talk about his performance in Finding Neverland out of town at ART like oh. at least once a month. I think it's one of my favorite. Oh, my God. I can't believe he didn't do that on Broadway performances ever when he and Jeremy Jordan had that act one finale scene where he turns into Hook. And then Jeremy Jordan kind of takes the reins and then they built a full boat like on stage for that scene stronger. It was just two incredibly good actors at each other. And um, I talk about Michael McGraw not having done that role on Broadway. Like, you know, you took my firstborn. Like it mm-hmm. it really, I think it would have changed a lot of things. I was actually at the opening for Plaza Suite. I saw Michael come down and sit with the other, you know, covers obviously for the opening. I turned to my friend and I said, let me know when Matthew Broderick isn't on so that I can come Mm. see him. I I really am such a fan of his work. I know that his daughter shared a really beautiful sentiment on her social media regarding this, that the day before he was reading with her uh, for an audition. And then he texted, the last thing I think that he texted her was, I'm so proud of you. Like what what an honor it was to read opposite you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's heartbreaking and touching. His daughter, Katie Claire McGraw, is is an actress, uh, as you mentioned, but just absolutely uh, uh, gutting. And anytime we lose somebody in the theatrical community because of the bonds that people make in this business, it's deeply felt. But especially somebody who was still young, was still working. All right. Well, let's this is a terrible like uh, just order wise in this. I'm sorry for this. But the next big story that we're going to talk about is the opening of Rachel Bloom's death, Let Me Do My Show, which opened last week, Thursday night at the Lucille Lortel Theater. And I wanted to run through some of the reviews for this. As we talked about before, this is a new one-woman musical comedy written by and starring Rachel Bloom and directed by Seth Barish. It is just running through September 30th because the Lucille Lortel is going to be welcoming Aubrey Plaza in uh, very shortly after that. But just going to run through some of the reviews here. Starting with Elizabeth Vincentelli of the New York Times, and I love Elizabeth Vincentelli. I think she's brilliant. She gives too much away in her reviews, uh, but so I'm going to try to kind of snip around things here, but she said, quote, the songs are the highlights here. Bloom is especially good at puncturing emotion with surreal detail as when she sings the tender lullaby for a newborn, then reminds us that she has actually been cradling her water bottle swathed in a towel. More blunt language, a tool that loses its sharpness with use, this absurdist vein effectively draws laughs, but it also underscores the show's real subject, the often cruel arbitrariness of life. Tim Tiemann, writing for the Daily Beast, said, quote, 
At the end, Bloom does make us laugh, but there is no breezy reconciliation with death. What we finally see, what Bloom finally imagines, is an uneasy tango to a song that is mentioned earlier that I'm not going to say here because there might be kids' ears listening, and then moves on and says, The living, Bloom astutely concludes, don't have a choice. Sorry for the downer, she intimates, but jokes can't and don't help. We must all live with death. A lot of these reviews, including Jackson McHenry's from Vulture, which I would like to read, but again, spends quite a bit talking about this certain song that if you know much of Rachel Bloom's work, will not be surprised by the content because it is graphic. Um, uh, but all most of the reviews were all very positive, Grace. And this just seems like something that, as we've talked about solo shows, it seems like people really like this. And maybe this isn't the end for this show, whether that's another off-Broadway run in a house that has a little bit more of a of a runway for her to do it longer. Maybe it means doing it somewhere on Broadway. Maybe it's somewhere to be filmed. Uh, I don't know, especially with her schedule. She might have other things going on, but really, really well received, incredibly short run for Rachel Bloom, but love Rachel Bloom. Love the fact that this was well received and would love to see her do more on stage, either as a, either as a performer or a writer moving forward. Same. I can't wait to see this show. I'm very fortunate now that I get to see it at the end of the month. And so I know that Adam and her work is obviously so beloved by the theater community and the television community. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a really, really special piece. It was very funny because I was running down to the West 4th Street station, I think the first night of previews because I was seeing something else. And I saw her director, Seth, like walking down, like on his phone, like taking notes. And I was just like, listen, the process continues, you know, <laughs> like even on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. even on the subway. So yeah, it's, um, it's really cool stuff. And I agree with you. Like, it feels like they would film it or, I mean, listen, we know A24 bought the cherry lane. So I mm-hmm. am thinking about that at all times. Um, also, Literally you know, all times, never not in the back of your mind. It's always it's something true. you're thinking about. <laughs> Yeah. It's true. So yeah, they might, I mean, it would also be good for like a, a second stage Helen Hayes moment perhaps as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Adam, Adam Schlesinger, who was her music writer and co-writer for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend who died early in the 2020 pandemic. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about this week's theatrical schedule, a little bit of a slowdown after last week when we had like 1900 Broadway shows begin previews. But coming up tonight on Monday, September 18th, over at New World Stages, the new play Dracula, a comedy of terrors will officially open. We've talked about this one before. I spoke with Gordon Greenberg and Steve Rosen in a special episode, and then Arnie Burton joined this week on Broadway. It is a new irreverent look at the world of Bram Stoker's Dracula with Lots of pop culture references, gender bending, quick changes, all types of things. So um, I have seen I've had a few friends go, but I haven't heard much about it yet. We know that it's already going to have its its West Coast premiere later next year. So excited to hear all of the reviews for this one coming out of New World Stages tonight. Then on Tuesday, the event that many people have been waiting over 40 years for, the Broadway revival of Merrily We Roll Along begins performances at the Hudson Theater. This, of course, is a transfer of the New York Theater Workshop production that ran last year, starring Lindsay Mendez, Jonathan Groff, Daniel Radcliffe, Crystal Joy Brown, Katie Rose Clark, Reg Rogers, and others. The show is currently scheduled to play through March 24th. That has already been extended for a couple months from when it was originally supposed to close in early January with those types of stars. No idea if it can go any longer than that would love to see it play through the Tony Awards, but uh, we will have to wait and see about that. Grace, I've, I've got my tickets for when I'm in town in October. I saw it at New York Theater Workshop and just what an 
absolute delight of a show. And, you know, people have often talked about how difficult this show is to stage, how the backwards chronology is confusing and people don't like it. But really the world over, because this this production has been done both in London and in the U.S. already, even before New York Theatre Workshop. But Maria Friedman's production seems to crack the code. And maybe it's maybe I'm biased. I don't know. But it really seems to work. So I'm very excited that more audiences are going to get the opportunity to see this. Obviously, some non-theatrical audiences are probably going to want to come one for Groff, but most likely for Daniel Radcliffe. And. I'm just absolutely thrilled that this show and this score that I love so much is going to have the opportunity to touch even more people's lives. I love that for you. I hope I get to see it. (laughs) You'll see it. You'll see it. I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Then on Wednesday, we have another opening, this one off-Broadway, and it is the primary stages production of Teresa Rebeck's Dig. It'll happen at 59 East 59th. The plot description reads thusly, in a dying plant shop in a dying neighborhood, Roger receives a visitor from the past, Megan, the neighborhood screw up just out of rehab. He wants nothing to do with this disaster. Rebeck's signature wit, intelligence, and depth brings us a riveting play that asks, can a soul beyond saving be saved? Now, the show is scheduled to run through October 22nd. I, I, my fandom for Teresa Rebeck is is well chronicled here, and I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to see this just because of, of scheduling, but I, I think she's great. And anytime she puts a new play out into the world, chances are pretty good that if you don't see it in New York, you will probably see it at regional theaters and collegiate theaters very quickly because they are so smart and so well written with such interesting characters that they get snapped up pretty much as, as quickly as the licensing rights became become available because they're just that good. So it, hopefully you get a chance to see it at primary stages. But if not, I have no doubt that you will get to see Dig in the future somewhere across the country. All right, let's move on to some show and casting news. We already knew that the new group season would include the play Sabbath's Theater, which is adapted from Philip Roth's novel of the same name. It is adapted by Ariel Levy and John Turturro. Turturro also stars in the show along with Jason Kravitz and Elizabeth Marvel. That is running from October 10th through December 3rd, directed by Joe Bonney. But the new group announced two more shows. The first is The Seven Year Disappear, which will begin performances off-Broadway on February 6th. Additional dates and opening night and all that stuff to come shortly. It is directed by Scott Elliott, but it stars Cynthia Nixon and Taylor Trench. It is a world premiere of Jordan Sevy's play about a mother and world-famous performer who suddenly reappears after being missing. Sounds riveting. Love that. Uh, Love Cynthia. Love Taylor. That should be great. And then the final performance of the new group's 2023-2024 season is called All of Me. It is a play by Laura Winters. It'll begin performances on April 23rd of 2024. Again, more dates to be announced. The description reads thusly, the classic boy meets girl play using text to speech to connect its leading couple. It is directed by Ashley Brooke Monroe, Madison Ferris, who is last seen on Broadway in The Glass Menagerie, and Danny J. Gomez will star with additional casting to be announced. Grace, I don't know that I've ever asked you, what are your Sex in the City thoughts? Are you a Sex in the City girl? And just like that, what what are what are your feelings on all things related to uh, to that show? Oh, Matt, we don't have time on today on Broadway. <laughs> that is a Patreon exclusive. I okay. I I extensive. It's it's a I I can't I'm, I'm spe- I can't even find the words. <laughs> That's how much I love it. 
And I'm also like critical of it. Like it, it's all the things uh, I, I care so deeply for it that I'm also like, mm. uh, but yeah, no, I watched the new one. I watch, I also love Cynthia Nixon's work. I, I paid to see in the, in the absolute nosebleeds of a balcony to see the little foxes twice with her, um, oh, just yeah. to see her in alternating roles opposite Laura Linney, um, who is also incredible. So uh, yeah, no, I love her work. And I also like know recently that she like directed a piece and I'm curious if she's going to stay on directing that piece, um, a, a play. So I'm very curious. I think she's really brilliant and I'm, I'm always interested in whatever she's doing. Yeah, absolutely. She's great. Uh, all right, real quick, a couple other things that I want to hit very quickly. There's a new autobiographical comedy called The White Chip that'll begin performances at the MCC Theater. It's a rental. It's not an official MCC production. It'll start in January. It is uh, going to star Joe Tapper, who was recently seen on Broadway. I guess not recently. Now it's been a while. And You Can't Take It With You. It is directed by Tony nominee Cheryl Caller. It is co-produced by John Larroquette and Annalee Ashford, who is actually Joe Tapper's uh, wife and uh, a renowned recovery activist and author author Ryan Hampton, as well as the nonprofit organization, The Recovery Project, is written by Sean Daniels, who uh, I know fairly well from both of our times in Atlanta. He was at Dad's Garage, I believe, and then went out and was running a theater in Arizona. And now he's actually down here in Florida in Sarasota, I believe, running a theater in Sarasota. So excited about this one. I'm sure we will talk about that because, as we've said, whether it's an MCC production or not, anything that shows up in an MCC theater is usually pretty good. Then we also got news last week, uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter, that Levi Holloway, who was most recently seen on Broadway as the playwright of Grey House, is taking another horror-to-stage adaptation swing with an adaptation of the Paranormal Activity franchise. Again, Grace, not normally a horror movie person, so I know very little about this, other than like it's a found footage horror movie set of of subsequent films. I don't know if they're interconnected or not, but I would be really interested to see how you do something that is generally a found footage type thing on stage, because obviously it has to inherently change because you don't have camera angles or, or those kind of things. It's a, it's a proscenium performance. I'd be interested in this. I, I did not get a chance to see uh, the gray house, but I'm interested in kind of pushing the boundaries of what we normally see on a Broadway stage. All right, and real quick, the recommendation here, normally we like to do videos in this section, but this is pretty cool and it's just still pictures. So I'm gonna do this as a recommendation, but the upcoming movie adaptation of the Color Purple musical, which is an adaptation of the Color Purple movie, which is a adaptation of the Color Purple book, has released its first images. There are some great pictures from the production, seeing all of the stars, Daniel Brooks, Corey Hawkins, Coleman Domingo, Taraji P. Henson, Fantasia Barino, of course, as well, and uh, many, many more. Really very cool to finally see this happen. Um, we weren't sure when it would actually be released, Grace, but it, it does look like it's sticking to its Christmas Day release schedule, despite everything going on with all of the strikes. So many stars of both stage and screen in this one, and very excited that we're going to get the opportunity to see this now, because like I said, it's actually the end of the year in just a couple months. That's insane. I've heard that. I mean, you know, I'm hoping that the strike will end by the end of the year, meaning people will get a fair deal. Yeah. But I, I obviously we've talked about this before um, that we really want the opportunity for people to promote the hell out of this movie so that it does not, you know, fade away into the, oh, can you all remember when that happened? Yeah. You know, I what think could this have is been. really 
Exactly. So I'm hoping that things do get better. And um, it's it's nice to see that they are sticking to their plan of doing the holidays because this perhaps might be a really great holiday moment for a lot of families. It's not a family show, but you know. Yeah, very much not a family feel good holiday warm kind of thing, but it is. I, I think I said this when it, we figured out that it was actually sticking. Like it feels like a holiday event nonetheless. All right, everybody, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW Matt. Grace, where can people find you? You can find me all over social media at It's Grace Hockey. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Monday, a wonderful week, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>